When I think of grief, Charlie Brown comes to mind. And a lot of times it sound, grief sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, like people are talking to you, you know, death has just happened and you can't make sense of stuff. And even weeks and months later, sometimes you just feel like that's all you hear in your head. And and then you, you think, all right, I can do this. And Lucy tees up the football and you go running for it. And then she pulls it away and Charlie Brown flat on his back and that's how grief feels like you know you think you're ready and you're running and then all of a sudden you feel flat on your back again and it hurts and somehow though you still keep pressing on and every time Lucy tees up the football you're gonna run for it Interestingly enough, there is one time in history in which Lucy lets Charlie Brown kick the ball. And so, you know, there is hope. And so, good grief. That's what Charlie Brown is saying all the time. Good grief. Good grief, it's a total oxymoron. Good and grief typically don't go together. That's what an oxymoron is. And yet, the truth of the matter, good grief actually comes from probably somebody just trying to omit saying good God, because that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, good God is isn't an oxymoron though because God is good and so I'm sure Charlie Brown in his frustration is not truly talking about grief but is probably saying good God and I think that's interesting because when you say good God God is good and God is present and so grief actually can be good. And we, I have referenced um, Tom Zuba and his book, Permission to Mourn, where he says, grief isn't the enemy. Grief can be a teacher. It starts off feeling a little bit like the enemy. And again, like Charlie Brown's teacher or Lucy pulling the football but out of the mouth of Jesus Christ comes Matthew 5, 4. Um, in the Bible, he has been preaching to an enormous amount of people. And he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the New International Version, which back in... I don't even know when it was really created, somewhere in the 70s, I think. Any pastor who listens to this can correct me if I'm wrong. And I probably should do the research, let's, let's be honest, but it's okay. Anyways, it was the hottest thing because it was written 
sort of in a little bit more plain English. And yet now it's a version that isn't quite as contemporary as the message. And the message says, you're blessed when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. So Jesus is telling us that in our grief, there is goodness because in our grief, he is present. God is there. And that is so amazing and good. So might not feel good and do we really feel blessed? I'm going to say yes. Zig Ziglar, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. Um, he was a salesman and a motivational speaker. He lost his daughter. She was 46 years old. And, you know, that's not the typical order of things. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. And he said, grief is the price you pay for loving someone. Because if there were no love, there'd be no grief. He has a book called Confessions of a Grieving Christian. And I have not read it. But I know that he contributed to grief share. And so he probably in his experience of doing motivational speaking and sharing about sales and things like that, he just had something to say about grieving. And so he wrote this book, but it is so true. When we love hard, we grieve hard. And so how do we find the good in grief? And my suggestion is to start with gratitude. And I take that back a little bit. It's not just my suggestion. Lots of experts on grief will tell you gratitude is a great way to move past the hard part of grief. And I shouldn't really say it that way either because it is hard. But sometimes when you put your focus on gratitude and you look for things to be thankful for, it sort of changes how you feel. And you've heard the expression, gratitude changes our attitude. And there's lots of truth to that. So for me, I will speak of my fresh grief because my mom died. And so in looking at things that I could be grateful for, I was able to be grateful for the care that she got at Rock Haven Nursing Home and the amazing, beautiful, kind, caring, smart 
talented, which is an odd word to use for nurses and CNAs, but trained and educated and just fabulous at what they do, taking care of her, like, oh my goodness. And I think my family was so lucky because for the three years that my mom lived there, we came in almost on a daily basis and got to know lots of those people and we got to know their names and I will forever be grateful for them. I look at the kindness of my coworkers in the three week period of time in which my mom was dying and their compassion and the compassion and prayers of my friends and of my church. I look at all the gratitude that I have for my family, both my family that is my DNA and my family that I married into. And I'm so, so grateful, grateful for my daughter who just made sure that I was going to be okay and also cared so much to come and be there and hauled her three children nonstop to Janesville so that she could be here. There's just so many things, so, so many little things and some that are just really big. And when we look for things to be grateful for, and we, when we look for the good, we see it. And that makes grief good. And sometimes we need to look for that good. And I think I have said this in other episodes. And sometimes I repeat things in other episodes. Maybe this is the only episode you're going to listen to. So um, if you're listening to all four of the grief episodes, my repeat stuff is just stuff I think that has had such an impact on me and my grief. And so just put up with it, if you will. <laughs> and who says, if you will, that's so corny. Anyways, look for the good. Mr. Rogers said that whenever there was something that was happening in the news, whether it was like natural destruction, um, or war or, you know, anything, just bad news happening. His mom always said, look for the helpers. And he said, it's true. They're there. You might see firefighters that are doing good or policemen that are there, or, you know, those good Samaritan type people. It's funny because my brain goes back to Charlie Brown too. Charlie Brown saw good in a tiny little Christmas tree. 
And so we look for the good because when we look for the good, we see God. God is there. God is in the good all the time. And it's interesting because in that Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus shares what Christmas is all about. And he shares about Jesus' birth. And after Linus shares about Jesus' birth, Charlie Brown's friends have a change in attitude. And they also see the good. And then that tree becomes beautiful and big and we get the point of looking for the good and seeing God in the good. I have seen it in others grief and how good comes out of grief. Remember my cousin Randy from the last episode that I did and she's an amazing and beautiful human being because she has taken the grief from losing her daughter from bipolar and depression and has become an advocate for mental health and for suicide prevention. And there is no doubt in my mind that through her, she has saved many and she has educated many and she has helped so many people understand and look differently and be educated on mental health issues and suicide issues and being compassionate. She's 100% made me a better person. I also have seen it in friends, Beth and Jeremy, when Andrew, their six-year-old, went to live with G Jesus. And how, I mean, every death is heartbreaking, but somehow when there's a child involved, it just is so hard. And they, they took Andrew's exper experiences from having to be in the hospital and go through procedures and scary things and, you know, blood draws and needle pokes and all kinds of things like that. And they would give Andrew little like prize bags and presents and things like that when he was brave and was able to handle those things. And it was sort of a reward for this little guy. And so in his memory and in his honor, for being a little superhero, they created a not-for-profit group called Andrew's Bravery Box, and they put together small rewards, small prizes, small toys, things for children who are having those scary experiences and having, you know, like I said, to have their blood drawn so many times and poked with needles and all kinds of procedures. And they then take these tubs of toys and 
books and great things to the hospital so that other kids can experience a little bit of joy in a very hard time. And so Andrew gets to be a superhero for life on earth in this amazing thing that Beth and Jeremy and their family are doing. And so that is so good. That is so good in the midst of something that is so tragic. My friend Debbie is another example of someone who lost her son, I believe, right before he turned 12. And she took her experience and has turned it into living life with a purpose. She is an art educator and taught students to do art with a purpose and to live life with a purpose. And she continues to do so. And she shares her story and lives her life in a way that honors her son and gives glory to God. And that is so good. And there's so many examples of people who take their experience and use it for the good of others. And it doesn't have to be something grand. It's even when you share your story with somebody else. And when you send that sympathy card or text somebody or show up at the visitation or the funeral or honor them by telling them a story of the loved one that has gone to heaven. And people love that. They want you to talk about their family member that they've lost or their friend or, you know, whoever has died to say, oh my gosh, I remember this time your dad told me the craziest joke at Woodman's because that would have been my dad. And when somebody tells me a story like that, it warms my heart. It is makes that moment of grief good. And so all of these examples are things that are examples of good grief and make me better. This time in my grief, I've been trying to do and learn more ways of utilizing my grief and making me better. I'm trying to listen better and be more understanding. I think I'm learning to love harder, even though that's a risk that you take um, in terms of the grief that is associated when somebody does die. I absolutely trust God more. He 100% is always in charge, always in control, and always has 
the right plan. I feel his love and his peace. And Psalm 34 is my mom's favorite psalm. And I know that because she wrote it in several of her Bibles. And I get giggling because, you know, most people probably have one Bible. Not my mom. My mom had several. And they were all used and written in. And it's epic. And she actually liked the message. And I say it like that because... For somebody that is older, the message came out a little bit more recently, and it was written in really everyday language, but my mom really was digging it, and her and my dad read it um, way later in their life, and Psalm 34, 17, and 18, um, I have given you 18, 18 before, but I even like the verse ahead of it. It, and the whole entire psalm is so good. So look it up. Um, Google it, BibleGateway.com. And then Psalm 34, the message. Awesome. But 17 and 18 says, Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. I mean, come on, God is right there. And in my pain, God is there. In my feeling of loss and being lost, like this time, that's how I feel. I just feel lost. I feel like, now what do I do? And it's so weird because it's not... My mom lived at Rock Haven Nursing Home where people took care of her 24-7 and I was lucky to come out and visit her and enjoy her and so that's the part that I'm missing and yet somehow I feel like I've, I'm 12 years old and I don't have a mom anymore and so I feel lost but God is there and that is good and it is good because I was there. I was there when Jesus came to get my mom. And as crazy as that sounds, it is so true. And the presence of Christ was so obvious to me. And I think my sister would agree that it was very obvious in this giant peace was there and remained until life on earth just interrupted it. But that is good grief. Every sympathy card and condolence is good grief. So much love. Facebook posts and, and comments were good grief, texts and calls and cards. I mean, unbelievable. And so I know all of that helps me become better and is able to, I am able to utilize that in ways 
that make me better, make me more compassionate, make me more aware of the importance of loving everybody. So guess what? I figured out how to make a new commercial. So I got a new anchor commercial. It's exciting. Listen to it. Thank you for listening to that. I don't wish grief on anyone. It's hard. It's work. It's tiring. It's heartbreaking. And sadly, it's inevitable. What I do wish, though, is that you know God. I wish that you know that he is there, that he is present, and that he is good. He's there with you in the heart of hurt, and he's here there with you to pick up the shattered pieces that you feel when someone you love dies. And it does feel like you are just broken beyond repair. But God is there and he's the one who created you. So he, he knows where every single piece goes. He's there and he's pointing to the good. He's pointing to the peace and the rest and the calm and the joy. He's there to bless us. He's there to comfort us. And he gives us the promise in Revelation. Um, but first, I want to tell you about Romans. Um, Romans says, Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. I'm going to read it in the message because, again, the NIV is cool, but the message just kind of puts it a little bit more contemporary. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcomes him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all of the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with the spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive alive as Christ. That is our hope that Jesus resurrected and we will live forever. And it is our hope that Jesus lives in us 
And because of that, we have life after somebody has died. It is the, it is the resurrected Christ in us that makes our grief good. And it is the promise that he speaks of in Revelation where he says in 21, 4 through 5, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is is God's promise, and it is so good. And that is where grief is also very good. When you know God, he is so good, and you see his goodness. And I actually asked God to tell me, when my mom was going to die. I was driving to work and I pray on my way to work. And on this particular day, and I don't know what day it was. I just know it was before my mom died. And I just said, you know, I know she's not going to live forever and I'm just not ready for that. Do you think you could give me notice? The guy's having this conversation like I am with you right now. And I'm like, do you think you could give me notice? Do you think you could give me like a sign and um, I, I, I just want to be prepared. And it's kind of stuttering like I am now because I just thought, you know, God, I know you can do it. Will you do that? And then I was cracking up because I'm like, <laughs> what makes me think that, it, that you should give me a sign and tell me whatever? And I'm like, I'm just going to have to trust you. And on that day, I felt like I did trust him. And that was probably because my mom wasn't in any dire straits that day. So I moved on and went to work. And interestingly enough, on June 26, God 100% gave me a sign because my mom got sick on June 25th and had to have a COVID test before we could go in to see her. So on Saturday when I called, which was June 26th, they said the COVID test was negative. So yep, you can come see her. And that afternoon when I came in to see her, something was wrong. And the weekend hospice nurse assessed her and said she is in an active dying process. And that began notice. That was God's notice to me to say, your mom is getting ready to go to heaven. And I didn't really put two and two together until about second week in there. I think I share this in the first of the episodes. Um, but there was another sign and the other sign was in this Billy Graham devotion. 
this devotion is called Day by Day with Billy Graham. It's compiled and edited by Joan. I can't even read the, um, I think it's Joan Windmill Brown, maybe. And yes, Joan Wilman Brown from Sherman Oaks, California. And she took sermons of Billy Graham's and took snippets of sermons and things that Billy Graham had spoken and created daily devotions out of them. 1976. My mom bought the book in 1976. And I know this because she wrote tons of notes in it. And so she wrote in the front of the book, P period Hanwell, because her name was Peggy. And she wrote 1976 and just has all kinds of things actually even glued in there and then some dates and timelines in there. And it started in 76 all the way through at least the last year that I saw written in here was maybe 1996. And so on July 15th, she highlighted this devotion. And I am going to read it to you because it's crazy. At the top, she has a star in, I'm going to say, a felt tip marker um, that was green. And then she wrote the words the word home with quotation marks around it. And the Bible verse is um, a portion of Revelation 22, 4, they shall see his face. And then she has a little red heart next to it. And it was July 15th that she wrote in this, um, that was the daily devotion. And I don't know what year it was because she didn't write the year that she wrote these notes or that when she highlighted it. But this is now specifically from that book. One of the great bonuses of being a Christian is the great hope that extends beyond the grave into the glory of God's tomorrow. A little girl was running toward the cemetery as the darkness of evening began to fall. She passed a friend who asked her if she was afraid, not afraid to go through the graveyard at night. Oh no, she said, I'm not afraid. My home is just on the other side. We Christians are not afraid of the night of death because our heavenly home is just on the other side. The resurrection of Christ changed the midnight of bereavement into the sunrise of reunion. It changed the midnight of disappointment into a sunrise of joy. It changed the midnight of fear into a sunrise of peace. Today, faith and confidence in the resurrected Christ can change your fear to hope and your disappointment to joy. That was on July 15th, and we all held our breath on July 15th. My sister Susie and I stayed overnight at Rock Haven staring at my mom. And there were lots of signs that she could have easily gone to heaven that night. But my mom, 
loved Jesus, and my mom knew that for her, three days later would emulate Christ, and that would be her Easter. So she died on July 18th and did not die on July 15th. But talk about a beautiful way for us to know that our grief can be good because she literally documented that heaven was her home. And how lucky we are to take our bereavement and turn it into hope, the hope that comes from Jesus. And I feel so grateful and so lucky to have this beautiful sign that heaven was her home and is her home. Good grief. My mom has only been gone for 45 days. And sometimes I say good grief exasperated like Charlie Brown because some days my heart is heavy and that is just how grief works. I say good grief because I can't believe I'm on this journey again and I wish that we didn't have to go through it every time somebody dies. But I also say good grief because I do believe that grief can be good and I see the goodness in who my mom was and who my mom helped me to be and how my grief from past deaths and from this death makes me better. I see the goodness in you. These four episodes that I have done on grief have helped me tremendously. And those of you who have listened to the previous episodes and have shared something positive with me about them, that makes my grief good. You make my grief good. And I just encourage you in your grief experience to utilize it for the good of others because the side effect is healing and goodness and peace and calm and seeing God there. I am going to do a little bonus episode on grief and give you a little bit of an update next Wednesday. And then after that, I am going to start a series on a book called The Red Letter Challenge. So stay tuned for that. Keep listening. I am the hippie Christian who cares. If you want to email me, you can email me at hippie Christian who cares at gmail.com and keep listening share this out like nobody really wants me to promote myself so 
help share it with somebody who might enjoy this series and or is experiencing grief because grief really does suck but after four episodes you will realize grief can be good good grief I ramble <laughs>